Hey, Malcolm. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Do you want to see what this lovely lady bought? Yes. <laughs> she bought a little plastic. I love it. Black and white ring with a leaf on it. Yeah, when you have I tell me. I will. I will. I, I, if I get. Yeah, no, I mean, I really hit them like a huge treasure chest full yeah. of them. And I, I got cocky. I thought I would find them all the time, but no, no. Maybe. Uh, yes, maybe it'll happen again. Okay. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. So, how are you on this lovely Friday the 13th? I'm good. I'm good. I just woke up couple minutes ago it's really nice out um or it looks really nice maybe it's you know maybe once you actually get out there it's gross it's not raining it doesn't look windy the sun is just lighting up the sky very nicely right now so and you're in chicago you're actually in chicago no i'm not in chicago no. i live i'm canadian i live in halifax oh is that nova scotia yeah Oh my God. Yeah. That is like, that's like Rick Moranis and Ghostbusters, right? Is no. it? <laughs> <laughs> There's this scene in Ghostbusters where Rick Moranis, do you know who that is? I, He's a I know famous the name. Canadian. I know yeah. the name for sure. Let me Google. Um, He's a famous Canadian comedian. He was on your version of Saturday Night Live, which I forget the name of. Is I'm assuming you're talking about This Hour Has 22 Minutes, maybe? No, that's not Saturday Night no, Live. No, it was um, like SCTV, maybe it was called. I, I might be getting it wrong. And not Kids in the Hall. They're, I think, also Canadian, right? Oh. Second City Television. Yeah, Kids in yeah. the Hall is Canadian. Um, yeah. Rick Moranis is maybe before my time. I've seen yeah. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, I think. Okay. Like, a long, long time ago. And I've seen Ghostbusters, but like when I was really, really little. Um, my, my my friend and a person who sells in my shop just walked in. I'm doing a podcast <laughs> recording, but you're, you're part of it. You're, you don't have to be part of it. I mean, I mentioned you, but whether if you don't, if you say nothing, you won't be a part of it. Okay. All right. Well, good. <laughs> I didn't realize that you'd be like in the store. Well, this was, how do you do this before? I've only listened, I've listened to three episodes of the podcast so far. Yeah, you never I mentioned usually, being in the store. I usually do it with my um, with my producer Carla, and we do it after the store is closed, and we bring out like the fancy equipment uh, and and all of that. But she is recovering from a shoulder surgery, and mm -hmm. I've just decided that instead of waiting for the perfect moment to make it perfect, I'll do it in this sort of loose and free way and the store and the interactions with people in the store will just be part of the part of it yeah that's fun yeah 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 but I mean because but I understand like I I'm always up for talking about my alcoholic father if you oh, yeah. if you're waiting for a more <laughs> private setting then no we can wait. I mean 
I'm in my room right now. I don't care. And mm -hmm. I don't know these people. So nothing matters, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like for, con for context, for anyone listening, I just want to mention that you and I met at the expat reading in Chicago, yeah. where you showed two wonderful films and you are a filmmaker and you mm -hmm. are working on a film that is very much about your relationship with your dad. Yes. Um, which it's like not a film that will be made for probably like eight years, but it is something that I'm working on and feel just like eight years because I feel like I shouldn't make it. I'm 22 right now. And I feel mm -hmm. like I shouldn't make it before I'm like 30 because I feel like nobody knows what they actually want to do till they're, they're like, does that make sense? I've been I told mean, by some people that it's good to wait. So you know that you know that you want what you're doing. It's it's prudent there's a lot of forethought in the way that you're yeah. approaching this film i i do think that if something is like a very central vein for you like if this is something that you're not going to get over it or reach full catharsis with the film which who knows if you will or if you won't I actually think there's something really interesting about continuing to make work about the issue over a long period of time. And, yeah. and then your relationship to, to that issue changes as you get older and you can look back on what was important to you or what yeah. your emotional like tone was in the early version versus a later version. Yeah, I don't know. I I guess I just don't feel like I want to hold anything in because who knows how long we've got. Yeah. And I mean, maybe that's part of the reason why I made the short film right away. Because like, okay, so going back for context in Chicago, I showed um, like a nine minute short I made um, that like, so I had this idea for a film and I want it to be like a feature length, like two, three hour thing, but I don't have the capability to make a two or three hour long film right now. So I was like, well, I'll just make a short and then it exists and the story is there. And then I can show that to people and be like, here's a thing I want to do someday. And hopefully the right people someday will see it and be like, okay, let's invest time and money into this. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. So yeah I don't know um yeah I'm writing the script right now and it, it's going well it's a lot different than the short like you know all the central stuff is there but like there's a lot of farming now I made them farmers oh just metaphorically that felt rich to you well I was like um I was like, I want this to take place over like two months and I want it to be like really slow paced. And um, I was like, I can't be with these characters for two months and like not have the main character have a job. Like what's his oh, job? Yeah. 
And I was like, it needs to be something like, like it can't ever just be like talked about. Like it can't be like all the scenes in this film can't be like, oh yeah, I just got back from work or like, oh, it's my day off. <laughs> like we're going to have to see him at work sometimes. So it was like, I think a family farm is best. And then like another one of the things, you know, in the short, it's like, he's a hunter and he's asking his son like, oh, come hunting with me. Yeah. And that's how we're going to like get close and bond. But so I think the same thing works well on a farm. Like, oh, come help out on the farm. Like, mm -hmm. this is what we do. And, you know, the son's very much like, I don't want to do that. But then he's like, mm -hmm. basically is forced to and blah, blah, blah. Um, What was your dad's, what is, was your dad's job? He works at a power plant. He's a power engineer. Um. And he also like owns a business installing oil tanks. Like it's literally just him. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, but I was like power plant, like that's boring. Like farmer sounds more like yeah. cinematically interesting. <laughs> I mean, I do like what kind of, is it? Cause I was thinking like, if it's like, if we're thinking about a field of crops over two months, depending on what, the setting is like a lot can happen and it can be yeah. a marker of time yeah. or like a piglet to a, uh, to a full size pig. I guess that doesn't, that wouldn't happen in two yeah. months, but. Well, so it ends on Christmas, of course. So the film's like November, December. So I think, oh, nice. I, I think dairy farm. Dairy farm. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Although yeah. it's interesting because the hunting as like the hunting that that was in the first film that you made the yeah. hunting has this really visceral masculine quality to it right like yeah. when we think of hunting and male bonding over hunting it is yeah. it is I was just reading um this Jim Harrison do you have you ever heard of that writer Jim Harrison um I don't know he he wrote the most famous thing he wrote was Legends of the Fall, which was a Brad Pitt movie. But you're 22. I keep I, I'm 21 <laughs> years older than you. So I have to I'll have to. Yeah, I, there, I'm, I'm here to, to learn. Or, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, it was a Brad Pitt movie in the 90s. Very, very sexy. A lot of montana river kinds of things but anyway um in this book the raw and the cooked where he talks about hunting and and he talks about male bonding which was a term that was like just coming into vogue when he was writing about it and he was saying that like there's something so like ridiculous and and um especially like the way like all these um non-indigenous men were like borrowing from the idea of native american uh rituals and awakenings and stuff like he just mm -hmm. really pointed to hunting like taking up hunting as a sort of um yeah like a kind of empty way to get at uh male friendship yeah the hunting will still definitely be part of it like that's that's really important and central but like yeah just I need it I need it more and I felt like if he's a farmer like that's a lot of stuff can happen and that, yeah you know um 
that would add a lot of meat to the film because I was like, I was lost for a second. I was like, what am I going to do? Because I want this, I want it to be a really like slow burn, like slow moving thing that is like really subtle. I don't want to talk too much about the plot because like spoilers, okay. like, you know. Um, eight, but eight like years from now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, people... But like, it's like, what if someone listens and they're like, oh, that's good. Let me make my film about that in seven years. And then it's like, you know, I'm fucked. <laughs> I don't think so. I yeah. really don't. I don't think yeah. you're, yeah, I don't think <laughs> you're making the sorts of, yeah. of films that somebody can just like easily yeah. rip it off. Even yeah. if they had the exact same plot, I don't yeah. think it would be. Hopefully not. But it's okay. It's all right. I, I respect yeah. your, your decision. Yeah. So, yeah. Um. So that's great. And so, yeah, I read, I was bored at work one day and I read your piece. It's called like, Let's Play Was Dad an Alcoholic? Or so that's the title. Something like that. I can't remember. But um, yeah, enough. I was, yeah, I am. Um, that's a really good piece. And I'm, you don't have a book out or anything, do you? Are you no, just... I'm writing it right now. I, okay. I, I, um, uh, like semi-officially I'm writing it for a new press it'll be the first book that comes out with a new press Whoa. but I I think I will keep I'll keep it a bit under wraps although yeah, of course I don't think I don't think that piece is going to be in it um yeah. it might be I don't know yeah is the book like like a collection of essays or is it like yeah yeah okay. it's a collection of essays and it's definitely um uh it focuses a lot on the store that I'm running now and it focuses a lot on um queerness because uh over the time that I've been writing about it I've also um uh, tentatively changed pronouns so okay work uh yeah I, it's it's uh it's, it's the first time I'm saying it uh out loud I, I I can't even decide if I'm fully comfortable with it like it feels like there's a lot of strings attached to being a they but I can just say that like I was referred to in an Instagram post about the store about like somebody was writing a really nice post about me for my birthday and said like this amazing woman and the word woman just like leapt out at me and and looked wrong I wanted to cross yeah. it out and I don't know I don't know it's it's very confusing I I don't know if I um if the reason I'm so anti being referred to as a woman has something to do with like my own internalized self-hatred of women and aging as a woman, or if it comes from like the magical correct place that you're supposed to have it come from to be a day. Hold on. Monique is looking at me like she has to go, you put your little card up. So now everybody can see who you are and what you are. And you took a few wallets. Oh, you put some more in. Okay. All right. All right. Have a good weekend. Yeah. Bye. She makes these vegan paper wallets oh. that are super cute. 
Oh, wait, are those, I looked at the store's Instagram very briefly the other day. Are those the ones that they open up like kind of like accordion style? Yeah. Yeah. Those looked cool. Yeah. They're really tiny. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I had to get rid of a bunch of my, like the debris of my big wallet to fit into the small one. But I think like she's trying to take a very minimalist approach to the way that we move through the world with these items that help us buy things like a wallet and yeah and she did a bunch of research and she's like you only really need four cards a bit of room for change and bills and anything else you're putting in there it's just bulk you know I mean I used to walk around with my passport in my wallet all the time like my American thick blue passport I think out of like some fear, like inherited trauma fear that like I would have to announce myself as like a, an American citizen and not be kept in Germany against my will should the shit hit the fan or something. But you know what? I'm ready to let go of that. And now okay. I have a tiny wallet to prove it. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, I don't even have a wallet right now because I I lost my wallet in like May, but I lost it like, okay, so I was at my grandmother's funeral and I came home. It slipped in the casket. Just no, no, no. She just cremated it. So hopefully not. Um, but so I came home and I had these dress pants on and then. So my other grandmother, who's still alive, she lives like a two minute walk down the street from my parents' house. So I had my dress pants on and I was going to visit my grandma. And so I took, I wanted to change into jeans. And so I took everything out of my dress pants pocket and I changed into jeans. And then I went to my grandma's house. And like, I don't remember seeing my wallet then, but if it wasn't in my pocket, cause I would been emptying all my pockets. I feel like I would have noticed that it wasn't in my pocket. You know, like, anyway, I go to my grandma's house. I'm there for like two hours and then I go to leave and I notice I don't have my wallet on me. So either like I'm just stupid and I never have my wallet to begin with in the bathroom, but I'm sure I would have noticed. Like, I know I would have noticed. And then, so either that, I don't think that's it. Or I lost it in my grandma's house or in the two minute walk there, but I don't know how that would happen. Like my wallet just mm-hmm. jumped out of my pocket while walking. That makes no sense. But I'm sure it's at my grandma's house, but she hasn't found it. So Were I've the, just been, sorry. Hmm? Were the dress pants like a silky material with a small pocket? They're like silky, but they're not small pockets at all. They're, they're like good deep pockets. Because hmm. I... Because I do know you're a you're a thin individual, and that I means am. a lot of a lot of uh, kind of r- ruffling of material can go on against your body. Yeah. And it, it is possible that a light enough, silky enough material could like jog up, jog up, and loose the wallet from your pocket. But I feel like not. I, I don't feel like you yeah you would have yeah. felt the heaviness leave that yeah that place on your body the clunk yeah. clunk of the wallet against your thigh yeah. or thigh or whatever yeah I don't know 
Anyway, so I've just been walking around like debit card in my pocket, just loose for months now. I don't mm-hmm. have a driver's license. Oh, I, you never have, got it. Well, I have a license, but I just haven't gotten a new one since I lost my wallet. I don't have a health card. Um, I should get these things, but oh, yeah. I, I just I haven't I haven't needed to go to the hospital. I haven't needed to drive. I take the bus everywhere. Mm. So I don't know. I've been putting it off. What is Halifax like as a town? Like, I um, imagine something very quaint, but it's probably not. Well, in Nova Scotia, less uh, just under or just over, I think it's just under a million people live in Nova Scotia. And Halifax is the only city in all of Nova Scotia. And I know that more people live in towns than cities in Nova Scotia. So by that math, just under half a million people live in Halifax. But um, I think that number is like the municipality of Halifax rather than just one central city. And I'm like right in the middle of the city, Um, like kind of not in the residential area. Like there's not a lot of people that live near me. Like I live near a lot of the stores and stuff. So for me, like during the day, like around my apartment, it's very like hustle bustle. But like I go out walking at night a lot, like often at like after midnight and I barely ever see anybody because like, you know, all the stores are closed by like midnight at the latest, usually earlier than that. Um, so, you know, there's a couple of people that will like hang out outside the McDonald's that's just down the street from me. But other than that, like, yeah, it's pretty quiet. I read that or my Hold friend told me that. Oh, hey, yeah. Ava. Hi. Yeah, good. Come on in. I just want to tell you that I'm recording a podcast right now. So you're a little bit on the podcast, but but go ahead. If you need me, you can talk to me. I'm I'm multitasking. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy. Enjoy. You look good. You look tan. Did you go somewhere? Oh, blush. Sure. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. Um, okay. So, so like, so it's really quiet. It's really dead. Yeah. It's pretty quiet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you go to like the, like the downtown, like there's basically almost all of the bars in the city are on two like adjacent streets, a couple blocks away from me. And so if you go there at like, you know, 1am on a Saturday, like it's going to be like packed. Yeah. Um, but like where I am, even though I'm like kind of right in the middle of the city, it's like kind of it's really quiet. Um yeah, I don't Sounds know. Nice. Yeah, it, it is nice. I like I like my my night walks. Um is there a queer bar? Is there anything there or... is one and I've never been to it. Um it's just like I, I'm not a huge nightlife person. I don't drink and I am like really weird and anxious <laughs> I'll go out to bars like I've been to some of the bars in the city and like the clubs and whatever but like I usually like I like to go with my friends and my like my very very closest friends that I hang out with the most are not at all like 
bar club people. Mm-hmm. We're all very much homebodies. But like now and then I'll have like a friend from high school or whoever come visit and they're like, oh my gosh, let's go out. And I'm like, okay, yeah. And I always have a good time, but it's not something that I like do all the time. I don't yeah, know. I'm also quite a homebody. Yeah. My friend told me that Halifax has the highest queer people per capita in all of Canada. Really? Apparently. Like, but because the population... Well, it's per capita, you know, so like our population is way less than Toronto. So like, you know, there's probably like, you know, just like random number, like a thousand queer people here. And then there's like 3000 in Toronto, but Halifax is like, or Toronto is like, you know, five times the size of us or whatever. I don't know the, the numbers, but more queer people there, like but you, it's also there. Do you know yeah. all of them? <laughs> yeah, it feels like that sometimes. Like, I know of all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know them all personally, but, you know, I am, um, like, all my friends are, like, I don't really have any straight friends anymore. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I see, you know, at the events, at the things, you know, the film festival, the... DIY shows whatever friends of friends like yeah I feel like it's very much like I'm no more than two or three degrees away from pretty much but that's not even just queer people that's just everyone in Halifax like you're everyone in Nova Scotia you're no more than two or three degrees away from it's 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 very it's very tight-knit um like I'll go on walks I a lot of my friends all my closest friends that live here they're um they're from other provinces that they are, they're here for school. And so we'll be like out and we'll be like walking. And like almost every single time we're on a walk, I'm like, oh, like I went to high school with her or like, oh, I um, that's my old best friend's sister or like, mm-hmm. oh, that, you know, that's my like second cousin. Like, yeah, I know a lot of people. I mean, that sounds like heaven to me. I mean, that's sort of what I mean, I'm trying to cultivate in Berlin for myself. Like I, I was telling my friend last night that I'm like, I consider myself like somewhat agoraphobic, but for mm-hmm. my neighborhood, like my, yeah. my range distance range goes is like, is the, the neighborhood of vetting where I live. Um, mm-hmm. And I always feel uncomfortable when I leave this area, but I feel comfortable here because I've been here for over 10 years and I've been meeting as many people as I can and cultivating relationships with a lot of different people through my kids, through work that I do now with like the vintage stuff through like little businesses that I try to support in the store. And so I definitely have that feeling of like, you know, the, you know, opening scene of Beauty and the Beast where, you know, she's like, bonjour, good day. Like I do have that feeling. Like everybody's like, you know, they know me. I wave a lot. My, I, I ride this big, cargo bike and so I'm I'm easy to identify and people do it in it and it makes me feel good it makes me feel safe and yeah um I definitely think that uh yeah that like that it's like it's like a coping mechanism mm-hmm. because 
because Berlin is such a big city and it's overwhelming to me and it's always been overwhelming to me. I have been here in total for like 18 years almost. And I come from big cities. I, I mean, I was born and raised in LA and then I went to school in Pittsburgh and I think that was the first time that I felt something like what you're talking about, like the Halifax, like if you're a hipster in Pittsburgh, I probably know you or know of yeah. you because, <laughs> you know, that population isn't that big. And then and then that feeling, that cozy feeling of of being able to move around without a car um, because it wasn't that big. Yeah, all of it was really... Yeah, I think that was the first time that I understood what made me feel relaxed. And it was proximity and community. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and when I think about like where I would go after Berlin, I always think about going to like one of the smaller cities in northern Spain where they have a lot of natural hot springs um, and just, yeah, and just growing old in this place that has like, a, you know, 20,000 to 30,000 residents and a, a lot of tourists moving through, but basically like the main people, it's, it's achievable to know them. Yeah. I think that sounds, that sounds really good to me. Do people lock their doors there? Yes. Okay. Just because... I don't know, just when you were talking about like, you know, like I know all these people like in my neighborhood and like I was thinking about my my hometown. I feel like not a lot of people lock their doors because just like there's a sense of trust within the community. Like so I grew up I grew up three hours away from here on Cape Breton Island. Um, and yeah, like that's like even there's like like I grew up in a highway town of like less than 200 people. And like half of that was the trailer court that was down the street. Um, and when I say down the street, I mean, down the highway, um, mm -hmm. like rural highway, you know, two lanes, not like a freeway situation, but like, yeah, like, um, I don't know, just people, people trust. And it's really weird because you don't get that. in. I feel like you don't get that in a lot of places in the world. No. Um, and you know, like people, people would like pull into your driveway and like come knock on your door and like ask for directions or, you know, ask to like use the phone and you let them. And mm. I don't know, it's, 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 it's interesting. I mean, do you think it's like, is it a, is it a small community of white people I feel like a oh, bunch of 100% yeah. yeah see this is what I, I I mean I feel like I feel like this is the the dream that country songs are chasing it's like <laughs> I'll live in a small town I keep my door unlocked and people just walk in and let them use my phone but like as soon as you get into a space that's like multi-racial multi-ethnic yeah, people uh, get scared. Oh yeah, those racist. doors get locked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No, my hometown and the surrounding area very, very white, very straight, very Catholic. Um, it's 
yeah, it's nice to not be there. <laughs> I don't go home a lot. But but this city that you're in now, it's big enough for you. Like, do you have dreams of moving to Paris? Do you have dreams of moving um, to New York? I I would really like to live in New York, but one, it's really hard to move to another country, as I'm sure you know. And two, I love New York. I hate New York rent prices. It's it's disgusting. Like, um, oh, we were actually we were in New York at the same time. We both went to New York right after Chicago. That's true. Um, so maybe we'll talk about that. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, like when I stay in New York, like my friend who I stay with, they pay like they pay like one thousand two hundred American dollars for like their room, which is like you know, half the size of my room, their living room is like tiny, tiny, tiny. And like, it's, it's such, it's such a small apartment. And then I'm paying like the same amount in Canadian dollars for the whole entire apartment. Like I only pay half of that because I'm only half the people that live here, mm-hmm. but like, yeah. So it's like, and then with the conversion rate, you know, they're paying like three times as much as I do for half the space and like i can barely pay my rent now but i guess it's also easier to make money in new york so i don't know yeah but that logic that's like a that's um it's it's like yes but right if you but yeah. if you can barely afford anything and you have to constantly work i mean like i feel that the the truism about New Yorkers is that they have like a million jobs, a million hustles. That yeah. They're constantly working constantly. And, and I, I respect that. I totally respect that. And I get, I mean, I definitely get the, the appeal, the thrill of being in a place where if you find your subculture in New York, then it is the, probably the most like intense version of that subculture you know it's like yeah. the cream of the crop of of let's just say like people who love macrame okay like <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna be amongst the best macrame artists in the world because you're in new york or macrame appreciators right connoisseur yeah. and there's something really thrilling about that but I feel like, and I felt this a bit at the reading, like whenever I talk to people who live in New York, I just get the feeling that they're so fatigued from the, from how much good stuff, intellectual stuff, smart people, like, like there's just like a blasé-ness that you have to adopt because like, otherwise you'd be you know, you'd have a heart attack, like something amazing and cool is happening all the time. Like you have to like lower your heart rate and not give as much of a shit just to survive New York. And yeah, I think that's antithetical to my personality. Like I want, I want to be fully enthusiastic about, you know, small things. And then I want, and then I want time to like, chill and relax and watch tv or read a book or whatever like i like i like the sleepiness of yeah the way my life is set up 
Yeah, I guess I that's maybe like because I've only like the longest I've ever spent in New York was like like four days or something. Maybe I would feel bad if I was like living there and I wasn't doing anything. Like if I was like I live there and I was just chilling at home, I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm awful. Like I live yes. in this beautiful city with all this stuff going on. Like I should be out there partaking. Yeah. You know, this is I haven't this... thought about that. This is what I'm telling you. This is where my agoraphobia in Berlin comes from. Where like, if I, like, God forbid, I look at a a city magazine that tells you like what's happening on the weekend. Like it, it absolutely paralyzes me. The idea that there yeah. are that many things to do. And I just can't, I can't, I can't deal with it. I, 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 it makes me want to bury my head. Like, I want fewer choices, even if they're not as good. I still yeah. want them. Yeah, I get that feeling like like when you're at a restaurant and it's like, oh my gosh, there's so many. I like, cause so I'm vegan. And so like sometimes there's been like maybe like two or three vegan restaurants that I've been to where it's like you have like 10, 12, 15 options rather than like two. Mm -hmm. and it's always difficult. I'm like, just give me two. And then, you know, I can go that or that rather than like freak myself out trying to pick. Yeah, I feel the like Halifax has, one. yeah, I feel like Halifax has just the right amount of stuff going on for me. Like there's stuff happening frequently enough that I'm not like, ugh, like nothing ever goes on here, but I'm not like, I'm not worn out. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess, um, yeah, so I, I want to live this going back to what you said earlier. I want to live somewhere else someday. I don't know where. Maybe I could stay in Halifax forever, but just like I feel like it's important to experience other things. You know? For sure. Like I have some people that I went to high school with that still haven't left our hometown of like of like I said earlier my hometown's like 200, 200 people, but like but like the like the greater town you know I'm like on the outskirts of the main town and so like the main town in total has like 3,000 which is still like nothing like I knew absolutely everyone in that town for sure um but yeah some people still like haven't they still live there and they haven't left and it's been like you know four almost and a half years since we graduated high school and I'm like are you not bored like but some people like that I don't know I mean, I just, I think this is where your age comes in because you're, you're four years out of high school. Yeah. That's just four years. Like, wait till these people are on their second divorce with grown children. <laughs> They'll move. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, you know, they're on their second divorce because they've never met anyone outside these 3000 people. You know, it's like, do you not want to go out and experience something different and I don't know. I just, well, maybe it's because I'm gay and there's like only uh -huh. like three gay people in that town. And I'm like, I can't be here. Not that I'm like living to date somebody. I don't even do that. Like, like I'm not seeing anyone and I don't see anyone really, but like, just like in a platonic way, like, yeah, it's just a sense of community. Like I, if I only had the friends, I love my friends from my hometown, but like, if I only had them, I'd go crazy. Like I need the yeah. variety and I need just newness. 
I don't know. I mean, I think that makes sense. I think, I think you're hitting on this idea that like, it's different for someone who feels like an outsider from a very young age. Yeah. If you feel like an outsider from a very young age, then you and you don't find your your community or your sense of belonging in the physical place where you live then you turn to movies books music whatever you turn to culture outside of the culture that you are growing up in and you develop kind of a a romantic taste for those things whereas yeah, yeah and and it net you know like the the I never I mean I, I think I do think it's a kind of a brave thing that I never thought of as brave to leave your hometown. Mm-hmm. Like the way that you're talking about it right now, you're you, you know, I you're you're qualifying it by saying like one should leave in order to experience something new. And I think you're right. But I, but I also think that there are lots of people for whom thinking about that is really paralyzing. Like yeah. thinking about being away from your parents, away from your siblings, away from your extended family, away from the friends you grew up with. Like they, the support system that they have is so integral integral to their being that they can't imagine leaving it or that it's too scary to to really leave it but in berlin like almost no one was born and raised in berlin like almost everyone i meet comes from another place even if it's like you know four hours south in germany there's so many people that are um that come here because it's like a cultural hub for whatever yeah. it is they they want to do and and i think that 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 making a family making a community out of lost people who were looking for something that's a big deal for me that yeah. that's when i feel the most comfortable like i never felt I, I mean and this gets i guess to the heart of our conversation but like I never felt like my family understood me, you know? Oh, yeah, no, I just, no, not like, at all. Was, yeah, there was no amount of conversations that I could have had where it would have ended with, like, a deep sense of, like, trust and understanding between us. I think they yeah. were they were very politely weirded out by me. Yeah. No, I feel the same way, and that's... Like you said, like, oh, some people are scared of like leaving their family and support system. And I'm like, well, I don't really have, my parents are great. My parents, they're, I think since I've become an adult, we've become a lot closer, but like, um, you know, it's not like I'm, I don't tell them everything and I don't, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that they don't know about me. Um, and cause I don't want them to, because I'm like, you're not going to get it or you're going to be weird about it. And I just don't want to deal with that. Um, and so, yeah, I, um, yeah, no, I, and like people ask me, you know, I'll like see people that I know and they're like, Oh, like how are your brothers doing? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, you know, we're not, 
we're not a family that really, or maybe it's just me. Maybe I have two brothers and my mom and dad, and maybe they're all, you know, they all know what's going on with them, but I'm like removed. I'm like, I don't, I don't feel the need to check in. I don't really, is it bad to say I don't really care? Like, it's just. It uh, might just be honest. It might just yeah. be honest. Okay. But then, so when I wrote this thing about my dad, my dad was dead. Okay. But you're doing this work about your dad and your dad's alive. Yeah. And um, pre- presumably you're going to show, or you have even shown your short film. Yeah. In, I mean, did, did your parents go to see it? Does, what does your dad um, think of what you're. They, they haven't seen the film, but they read the script before we shot it, like a couple months before we shot it. I was home for Christmas. We shot it in February. And so I was home for Christmas. And I just like, I went down into the basement. I was like, hey, dad, like, I need you to read this. It's something I wrote. One of the characters is based on you. And he was like, oh, I don't know if I want to read this. And I was like, mm, I, I feel like you should because I want to shoot this in two months here. Um, Like I had already like, it was in like early December that we like I casted the film and like I asked my parents, I was like, can I shoot a film in February? Like there's going to be a bunch of us at the house for a couple of days. They were like, yeah, cool. We love that. And so, you know, I was like, you know, before and, you know, so my dad was on set because, you know, with the hunting scenes and the stuff, he was there to be like, yeah, you're using a gun correctly. Um, and so I was like, well, he should know what it's about before we yeah. actually shoot it. So he's not like on set being like, why are you doing that? Like, what is this? Um, so I let him read it and um, he really liked it. And, you know, he I mean, the film went on. He didn't like try and stop it. I don't think it's a it's a mean portrayal of my dad. It's um, and, you know, it's like it's not my dad now. It's um you know, very much my relationship with my dad when I was a teenager, which was a lot more strained. I didn't like him. Now mm-hmm. I, I I love my dad. I think he's great. Um, We just went on a road trip to Maine together and we had a good time. Um, But yeah, he read it and he was like, this is really good. This is really well written. And I think this is like almost a story that like needs to be told. I think people need to hear this. Um. Of course, I don't think he entirely got it because a couple hours later, he asked me if I wanted to go out shooting with him. And I was like, <laughs> I don't, mm, you, your reading comprehension skills are a little lacking. Um, and I guess for context, I'll say, yeah. So part of the film is like dad trying to get close to his son. Um, and he does that through like the dad's a hunter and he's like, okay, son, like, let's go out shooting together. Let's hunt. And the son's like, I don't want to do that. I don't like that. But the dad kind of forces him to. And so like the son is, you know, based on me, I say the son is me. If I was a little bit worse as a teenager, um, like mentally. Um, And I say that the short isn't a true story, but it could have been had Mm -hmm. I been a little bit worse and, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah. Um, but yeah, my dad's got, he's got good intentions always. He, see, he wants what's best for me. He really, really cares about me, but like in the film, he doesn't always know exactly how to do that care about me. 
you know, like um, he has a hard time sometimes like meeting in the middle. Like he doesn't know how to be interested in the things I'm interested in always. He tries, but it's always like, it's weird. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's how I would, that's sort of what I, w- I was saying about my family. It was like, if they showed an interest in my interest. Okay. Like here's the perfect example. Okay. Okay. My mom and I went to the art house cinema in the Valley. Um, and we saw this movie called you can count on me, which was this Laura Linney, Mark Ruffalo movie, uh, about like, yeah, it's adult siblings going through a tough time and and being somewhat estranged and be but becoming closer be, out of necessity. Yeah. And it was like a slow moving. Um, I think it was by the same director who made uh, that Casey Affleck movie where his family dies in a fire. And then he takes in the boy shit what was it called with michelle williams Um, okay uh, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter but anyway yeah Uh, it's like a a lawn again lawn again okay yeah so so it's like this kind of a plot and my mom you know my mom was like a person who read romance novels uh compulsively read romance novels Oh, are you frozen? Oh, no. I'm just looking okay. down at my phone. Manchester by the Sea is the movie you're yeah, talking Manchester about, Yeah, Manchester by the Sea. Yeah, yeah. It was okay. by that director. So, so, yeah. So, my mom was, like, this very, um, like, kind of, like, forced, upbeat lady. Like, she mm-hmm. just, like, you know, snappy, like, don't look too far below the surface of things. Um, yeah. It just... I I never could get down to like what the core of her was, but we Mm -hmm. went to this movie because I wanted to see it. And afterwards she was like, so what did you think about it? And I started talking about like all of my thoughts and feelings in a very like raw, vulnerable way. And she like, she, she nodded and she, I thought like maybe there was going to be a breakthrough moment. And then, and then she said, yeah, you know what I got out of it? you can tuck a shirt into a jean skirt and it looks really good. <sighs> That's funny. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we all take away different things. She got something. Go. She got something <laughs> out of it. She did get something out of it and she yeah. is right. Yeah. Um, and I'm happy it changed her for the better. <laughs> tuck that shit in girl. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, but that was sort of the way that it would go. Where I was like, yeah. and I would roll my eyes and be like, why bother? Yeah. Why, you know, like, this is not where my energy belongs. Like, this is, and then you have to deal with maintaining, and this is not like a, this is a widespread phenomenon, but it's like maintaining that cordial relationship with your parents as an adult yeah. without it blowing up into a fight that you can never win 
you know, a moment of catharsis that will never come, like the acceptance of the limitation and then, and, and then the kind of false mechanical way you have to move through that relationship as time goes on. It's a bummer. It's a bummer, but, but it's, it's, my kids will have to do it with me. I mean, I have no doubt that like, that I will fail them in similar ways. That's just the way it's generation life, yeah. to generation works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, um, I'm thinking about a time I was in the car with my mom. I don't know why I'm telling this story now, but I was in the car with my mom and we were listening to Fiona Apple and I was like talking about how much I love Fiona Apple. And I was like, there's this really funny tweet that I love. That's like, I used to think there was a Fiona Apple song for every mood, but then I realized I have clinical depression. <laughs> and um, it's so funny. Um, and I said that to my mom and she was like, hmm, well, you're not clinically depressed because if you were, you wouldn't be able to find joy in things and you find joy in a lot of things. So, and I was like, I just didn't say anything. I was like, that's a really weird thing to because like I, I mean, like it comes and goes, but I am and I have been depressed. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? Like often I am not finding joy in things. So this is, what are you talking? It's just, yeah, just sometimes they, my parents say things, you know, like, do you want to go out shooting later? That I'm like, do you pay attention yeah. to me? Like it's, I don't know. But that anyway. one, that one, what your mom said I can, Mm -hmm. I can relate to that. I I mean, I can, as a parent, I can imagine hearing that and like the antenna in my body being like, oh no, he's depressed. He's depressed. He's depressed. And then like wanting to somehow find a way for me to feel better about your depression and therefore being like, yeah, well, but, you know, I saw you the other day, you opened that fresh pack of Pop-Tarts and there was a smile <laughs> on your face. Like you yeah. find joy in things yeah. and then, and just letting yourself coast on that, that belief because yeah. the alternative is so scary and painful, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, maybe it's, you know, like, I mean, I'm probably not as terribly depressed as, I mean, I'm definitely not as depressed as some people are. But it's still there. But yeah, I I probably do. F- I'm probably not clinically depressed. Um, I do find joy in things, but just still, it was just a weird thing to say. I was like, no, I think clinically just... depressed is not does not exempt finding joy in things. Okay, well then I, maybe I, I am I mean, Like, look, at, we we can look it up. We can look it up and have a caveat to this conversation. But my understanding of clinical depression is, you know, a a lifelong disorder in which your mood dips in such a way that it is hard for you to feel comfortable making contact with people, feel motivated to do things, you know, like that, that I, and, and if that's punctuated by like moments of joy, that doesn't negate the the through line, which is, which is, yeah, that your, your like resting place is depression. 
Yeah. Do you think are some people's resting place? Oh, no, it must be happiness, right? There's people who are yeah. neutrally happy, which Hello. is Hi. Hi. Oh, nein. Danke, aber, aber ich denke nicht. Yeah. Tschüss. Wanted to, this guy came in with like a Casablanca poster, like a, a reprint of a Casablanca poster poster but i don't really feel like it fits the mood of my store so i said yeah. bye i did buy some gold vans from him a few weeks ago though i don't know where he gets it i think he finds mm -hmm. things on the street and brings it to me but wait what were we talking about we we're talking about depression oh, oh we were talking about like people yeah. who aren't depressed yeah, yeah i mean well the cynic in me is like yeah, well, if this CrossFit gym closed, then let's see how happy you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's like, I don't know. Wow. Well, okay. So my first thought to that was like, I was like, well, nothing's being taken away from me. And I'm not, you know, like it's, I'm not sad because things are being taken away from me. But that, that thought makes no sense. I don't know what I was saying there. Um yeah, I'm just I'm just sad because of my brain. Do you think those people would not cope? They're so happy that, you know, they can just cope with the with the CrossFit being. I don't know. That's I don't know what no, I'm saying. No, that's, can... I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think I think there are people that are like. Very type A and very disciplined about creating a structure and a schedule in their life that mm -hmm. leaves very, very little room for existential contemplation and, and, you know, anger, depression, all of those things, you know, I yeah. think there are people that can work in that way and they keep it light. They keep it light and they, you know, they get a lot of, but but I don't know. I don't think that those are the people that ask themselves, like, am I getting a lot of joy out of life? Like, do I yeah. like CrossFit? Do I like, you know, going on, you know, seven Tinder dates a month or whatever? Like, yeah. I think that there's, I see it as a sort of brainwashing that you're, yeah a little bit complicit in like like you know where you like to a certain extent i think late stage capitalism is telling you like you got the bod you got the babes you're good you know and yeah. like if you if you just like turn up the music really loud in your car and are constantly going from one thing to the next thing and you know then maybe that that is a, a version of uh, if not like genuine happiness, it's not depression. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be a little disconnected from reality to not feel bad. But at the same time, you know, I want to say like, you know, if you're paying attention to the stuff around you, like, of course, you're going to feel depressed. There's war and famine and hunger and poverty and blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, there is a lot of really beautiful things happening. And you know, I, yeah, I feel really bad looking at 
some of the stuff going on. But at the same time, I also feel really good when I see like, you know, beautiful art scenes happening or just people being happier, my friends or Mm. whatever, you know? I do think that, okay. I think that there's a type of person that is not faking it and very much at peace with themselves. Yeah. I think that's possible. But But do you think that these people are aware of what's going on outside of their own life? Yeah, I do. And so do they just not care or? No, 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 no. I don't think it's about not caring. I think it's about like, I mean, usually I see when I think of these people, they're like much older, you Mm -hmm. know, like that. that, Oh, I immediately thought of my grandma. Yeah, this is like a a late a later stage in life where you know you've been through your your trials and tribulations and mm-hmm. now you can take a minute and smell the flowers like devote yourself to the things that make you feel good and and know that like despite the tremendous grief that you might feel over the state of the world, you know, you can have a healthy concept of how you as an individual fits into that. So, so whatever it is that you decide to do in the face of that, whether it's like loving the people that are close to you more, more and more like, spending a lot of time in nature like I think I think these things are possible I think having a happy life in that sense a peaceful life in that sense is is possible and that it's a product of like wisdom and grace and not a product of like um you know not questioning and and trying to sort of float on the surface of life without without digging in a way that will make things uncomfortable for you. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I have to believe that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think about, yeah, my grandma came to mind when, when you were saying that. And like, I think she, you know, she's aware of what goes on in the world because she talks about it to me, but just like, I think she just accepts that it's happening and it's not affecting her personally. So she's like, you know, she's happy and she's like, oh, this thing's happening. Like, isn't that sad? Mm -hmm. Let's move on. Um, I don't know. Anyway. But what are the things that you get in your own head about like what brings you down what are the things that bring you down um one of my biggest fears is dying without ever experiencing a love that felt like mutual and good to, does that make sense that's kind of yes. a yes. like i i very much want to be loved and I, I love a lot. There's a lot of people that I love. And it's only quite recently that I felt for the first time somebody loved me 
even close to the way that I was loving them. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I, I have to say like close to how I was loving them because like the intensity at which I love sometimes is it's unrealistic for me to expect that of another person. Um, The fact that I'm doing it is like psychotic and insane. Um, uh oh, but... uh oh, Glenn Close and Fatal Attraction. What well, are you not, doing? Not like that, but just like the fact that I would care so much about. Yeah, you know, I'm not like stalking them, but it's like just, you know, I'm like at the end of the day, like you're just some guy, like some person, whatever. Like, why do I care as much about yeah. you? You know, and it's not like I'm, yeah, I'm not stalking, but I'm just like, you know, like there's a lot of people like after like three conversations if they were like will you help me hide a body sure I would do it because <laughs> I I just really care about people want and the best for them yeah and, and maybe it's gonna get in the way. maybe it's like um growing up in a small town and not really having a lot of connection because so I grew up on the highway like you know 10 minutes outside of the main town and so it wasn't like I was like okay I'm gonna go next door and play like we didn't have yeah I mean we have neighbors but they're they're old and it's not a lot of them um and then like so my elementary school was like a 30 minute drive Mm -hmm. down the highway so there was a school in the main town but for whatever reason my parents were like we don't like that school we're gonna send you to the other school And so it was a 30 minute drive away. And so, and then all my friends at that school lived another 30 minutes in the opposite direction. So um, like, I didn't hang out with a lot of kids growing up. I was really, really lonely. Um, I had school and then that was it. Like, and then I'd go home and I'd be alone. Um, In high school, once I got to high school, I asked if I could transfer to the school that was closer. And I started spending a lot more time with friends. Um, So I think now it's like just anytime I meet someone and I'm like, oh, like I like you and we get along and whatever. I'm just really happy to to be around people, which is weird because I I self-identify as an introvert. But like I, I thrive best with like one to two people near me. Yeah. You know? I don't want to be around a lot of people, but like, I like, I like one-on-one time or one-on-two time or whatever. Um, And so I think I'm just really glad that, and also for a long, long time, I was told that I was annoying by almost everyone in my life. Um, Like friends, family, like teachers and like, you know, just the word annoying is so like it to a point where I've like accepted it as part of my identity. I'm like, I'm annoying. People don't (laughs) like me. I'm, you know, whatever. And so when people actually give me the time of day, I'm like, oh, I will do anything for you. You know, like you, it's, it's insane, but. Yeah. It's a starvation. Yeah. It's a starvation. And then when somebody gives you a few crumbs, you're like, it feeds something so deep in you that you, yeah. You will do anything to get more. You know, it's interesting because last night I, I was hanging out with my friend Alexa and we were talking about, yeah, like dating um, and and finding somebody that you are really attached to and 
and she doesn't want to be with anyone in like a one night stand sort of way. Yeah. Um, and so she's looking for like a, a deeper relationship and I am too. And, and I think she said something about, um, at this point in her life, like she has to be very careful about getting deeply involved with someone because she knows that that is essentially giving them a lot of power over her. Yes. I say all the time, I'm very easily manipulated. I'm very easy to take advantage of. I'm, and I get, and I know this because it happens a lot because I meet someone and I'm like, oh yeah, I will like, I am someone who loves really unconditionally. And I have some friends, one in particular comes to mind that I think like they know that I love them with my entire heart and that is not going to change no matter what they do to me. So they've kind of stopped putting in any effort Mm -hmm. um, into like nurturing the relationship or the friendship or whatever. Um, which sucks. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. That sucks. But but there's a part of you that just can't that can't move your efforts where they will be rewarded. Well, I it's it's not that I never want to move. I just want to keep expanding, you know? So it's like I'm I'm still going to be here for this person and love them no matter what, but I'm also going to go look for other things at the same time I yeah I feel like I'm never I have an infinite well of love inside me and I'm not you know I'm not like meeting new people and like managing okay who do I take some mm-hmm. away from now yeah. so I can place it there I mean it happens now and then, you know when you know when you meet someone and you just become like so like like tunnel vision like obsessed with them yeah. you like forget to talk to your other friends for a little yeah. while it happens now and then but I always come back um, but yeah, I, um, I'm always just right. expanding but, but, and, you know, there's... like the alternative way of looking at this situation with this person is that like, they, they aren't deserving of the amount of, of love and energy that you're putting into them and that yeah. it, it could be better for you to recognize that and, mm-hmm have the sort of boundaries that you need to have to create some distance from your feelings from yeah them, they're not returned yeah I I recognize you know because I'm saying it now like you know I I recognize that maybe they don't deserve what I'm giving them or they don't deserve not even, it's like, I'm not even really doing much for them. It's just like, they don't really deserve to have me feel that way about them. But I, I don't think they need to deserve it. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm like, I just, I just want to feel this way about you because I care about you. And there's just that ineffable quality about you that draws me to you as a person. Um, And, you know, yeah. Um, so I'm like, I don't care if you're not doing what you should be doing. You know, it's a, what not even what should they be doing for me? It's like, I don't, I'm not entitled to anything just because I like this person and want them to be my friend. 
it's it's difficult yeah i guess the idea is that like nurture the relationships that are more symbiotic yeah it sucks because it was it was like when we first met if i i said to them i was like i feel like i'm experiencing friendship for the first time like i've never had somebody I've just never had a friend like you before where we're like, we just get along really well. And I feel like for the first time I'm talking to somebody who actually understands me Yeah, because, you know, I come from the small town mindset of like, you know, I don't belong here and whatever. Um, But then, yeah, after a while, just got really comfortable and was like, okay, like he's not going anywhere. I can Mm -hmm. just, I don't have to put on my little song and dance of like, Hey, you're my new friend. Let me try and impress you. Yeah. I mean, I don't being, know. being seen, being understood, that's a powerful drug. Yeah. It's hard to, <sighs> to walk away from for sure. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I think sometimes about the fact, like sometimes when I'm feeling these things and I'm like, it's the end of the world or whatever, like this is like terrible. I'm like, I'm 22. There's so much life to live. This is going to be, this is like what I'm experiencing now, even though it feels like so long and drawn out and like, just like life consuming, like it's a blip in the scheme of things, you For know? Sure. Hopefully, anyway, maybe it'll just keep going on and on and on, and it'll be <laughs> just my boulder that I am constantly rolling up the hill. But hopefully maybe. not. <laughs> hopefully not. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, did I tell you in Chicago that I hope I did? I was there alone, and like I didn't know anybody. On night one, one of my friends turned up who was like visiting Chicago for the night. And I was so grateful that she was there. But other than that, you know, I had like messaged Gwen a couple of times because she was organizing it. But other than that, I didn't know anybody at all. And so I was so scared and I didn't know anyone's work. I purposefully like didn't look anyone up because I was like, I don't want to go in there with a like, oh, my God, like so Mm -hmm. honored to meet you. Like I'm such a fan. I just wanted to like see everyone's kind of equal. Um, and so I was like, I really hope that this is good and I'm not wasting my time. And so you were the first reader on night one. And as soon as you finished, I was like, thank God I'm in for a treat tonight. Like that was so good. And I'm not here. I'm not about to be sitting through hours of like excruciating, pretentious, like up your own ass. Like I was like, that was so good. And I'm just, I'm, it was like relief. I was like, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. I left that piece. That was, I think about that all the time. And going back to Fiona Apple, I associate, I think the first line of that piece was like, there's no greater fiction than the fiction of a false start or something. Yeah. Like that. A fresh start. A fresh. Uh, did I say false? I don't know. Yeah. A fresh. Okay. Yeah. I meant fresh. I don't know what I said. Anyway, there's a Fiona Apple lyric that, oh my God, I'm blanking. I was listening to this song yesterday. Oh, I'm a sensible girl. I know the fiction of the fix, Um, which it's in her song Werewolf, which is about just like, are you a Fiona Apple fan? Do you know Werewolf? I'm a Fiona Apple fan, but I'm, but I don't 
actively listen to her that okay. much. I got I really listen into to her the, a lot. Um, the Bolt Cutter album, mm-hmm. yeah. that one, that one really like snapped and I into me, and I listened to it for like a week straight. Mm-hmm. But like the early Fiona Apple, like I was there for her first coming, and I think I just felt really creeped out by the over (laughs) the the by the the videos where she just oh yeah the the criminal video like I just every time I was like oh my god she's so thin and so pale and she seems like she's about to die and be raped at the same time and this is sexy like I was so confused well my I see her Yeah. yeah I see her and I think those things and I go, hey, twin, like, what's up? Like, you know, I'm like, finally, some skinny pale representation. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, we don't have enough of that. No, obviously. no, no, no. The world does not, <laughs> yeah. does not value yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's funny. No, I anyway, get it. No. I, I get I get what you're saying about, yeah, about the this that line the fix yeah I mean I I thought that reading was incredible I it was I yeah I had um yeah I had a lot of um my own fears and 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 social awkwardness about walking into it um and so it was it was scary for me to be also alone um and 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 going through it but but at some point, like the quality of the work and the consistent quality of the work yeah. throughout the reading, it just made me feel so proud to be among them. Yeah. And yeah, that is- continues to happen. I mean, do you go to the, like, you're a little. Oh, hold on. A little a bit second. outside of the community. Do you find Gwen? Like, how? Okay, hold on. You just like cut out for a second. Can you repeat yeah. that? Yeah. I said, how did how did Gwen find you? Like, what? How were you? Oh, so um, so there was someone who was supposed to read at that festival who ended up canceling like the day before. My friend Kath. Um, Kath. Oh yeah, I, I know Kath. Uh huh. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. Kath and I met in a Discord server, um, like years ago. Not years, like three years ago Uh um and we had met we had met in new york in may 2022 Uh, so we met in the discord server for do you know the singer ethel kane Mm -mm. okay so she's like she just put out her first album last year she's getting like pretty big she played coachella this year but her and i have been friends for six years this month and that's like pre-fame like we became friends the month that she put out her first mixtape and she had like 12 Spotify listeners. Now she's got like mm. 2 million. So wow. it's, it's, yeah, it's been nuts to like see her grow. Um, But so she had a discord server just to like, you know, it was like pandemic days when like everyone was at home. So, you know, everyone was just like in the server, hanging out, talking, you know, whatever. And so she was part of that. And I was also part of that. Um, and so we met in May 2022 in New York at her album release show um, that I I drove to Maine to see Grouper 
I was driving to Maine to see Grouper, and then I realized her album release show in New York was two days later. So I extended my trip, and I took a Greyhound down to New York mm-hmm. in the day in between, and I saw her album release show. And we had been friends for four and a half years at this point, but it was all it was online. Like I, mm-hmm. I found her online. She was like running a fan page for Florence and the Machine, oh, and yeah. that's how we became friends. Anyway, so that was our first time meeting in person. So that was great. And then we saw each other again in Boston two months later. I went to, I have some family in Massachusetts and they were like, you should come visit. And I was like, okay, my friend is doing a show in Boston on like July 25th. Like, like let's, I like, I'll come down and like, you should come with me to that. And so I get to Boston. My friend Jordan picks me up at the airport and we go out for dinner with Kath. Uh, Jordan and Kath, they take me to my first Target because we don't have that in Canada. Target's boring. I wasn't into Target. Um, Oh, I love Target. It's just like, I don't know. They were hyping it up so much. And then I got there and I was like, this is just a regular store. Like, I don't, I don't know. It's like, it's, it's, I feel like it's a like nostalgia. Like you have to like grow up with it type thing. Mm-hmm. Like for me, like I, I love Walmart, you know, yeah. Walmart's my target. Um, <laughs> anyway, I was told that target is better than Walmart because like crazy people go to Walmart and like all the chill people are target. And I'm like, that seems a little classist, but Anyway, moving on with the story. Um, So yeah, and we hung out in Boston, blah, blah, blah. So we knew each other. And so Gwen had asked Kath to read at the festival and then was saying like, you know, was organizing day two and was like, I just, I want to show some films. Like I need some filmmakers. Like, do you know any filmmakers? And she was like, oh yeah, I have a friend in Canada. Like, let me ask him. And so this was in December. I had just written the script for my short but in October of 2022, um, Knife Play, the the other film that I showed there, which um, was a co-production between me and my my friend Alexander, um, we had um, that had showed in Paris and had won top prize at this festival that it showed at, um, and so, you know, that was the only like film I had with my name in the credits. Um, you know, I'm a filmmaker, but I don't really actually make anything. I just think about making stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Um, but so yeah, I like asked Alexander, I was like, can we show this film? And he was like, oh my God, I'm such a fan of Gwen's the day Mm -hmm. one, like lineup had already been announced. He was like, I love this person. I love that person. Like, yes, like let's show this. And then, um, once we had like confirmed the shoot dates for my short. I asked Gwen, I was like, Hey, like, can I also show this thing that I'm about to shoot? And she was like, yep, go ahead. Um, so it had its, its world premiere there in Chicago. Um, and it's only screening so far. I haven't, I've just been like sitting on it. I submitted it to two festivals, but just like, like local festivals, but where it's like so lo-fi and so like depressing. I'm like, what do you program this with? Like, <laughs> like most of what else is being shown at these, you know, like, like, you know, like international film festivals that I'm like applying to is like more like higher production value and a little more, uh, what's the word? Like, like consumable, not, you know, mm-hmm. like, like general accessible, accessible. Whereas mine is like, hey, do you want to hear about me being really depressed when I was 17? I think you're, so. I think it's, I know, I, I think you're selling yourself short. I mean, I understand what you're saying. I I think it's accessible. I, I think between yeah. the two of them, that one, 
that oh, out of the two of them. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely more. But also just like, look, the, the narrative of uh, like a gay son having a hard time like getting his dad to see him. Yeah, that's a pretty accessible narrative. I mean, I think we've yeah. we've moved to the point where where that one is is very visible in in pop yeah. culture. Yeah, I guess. And like, okay, spoilers for the film for anyone listening. I guess just like having somebody commit suicide on screen is where it veers into the not accessible. You know, that's that's a lot. And like I've showed it to some people and they've been like, oh, like if you screen this, like you're going to put a trigger warning. Right. And like so, yeah, I did when I showed it in Chicago, it's like, hey, everyone, like, by the way, if you're like uncomfortable with whatever, like, you know, close your eyes. Um, I mean, like to me, it's like, I don't care. Like, you know, I, I could watch that and not know what was coming and like be fine. But some people are like really like, ooh. Well, the thing is, is like one teen suicide in a short film that has like a hard one emotional narrative, like the fact that that is so hard to to stomach. But like every I don't know, like I've been there are shows that I watched in the background sometimes when I'm Mm -hmm. doing like tidying or whatever. And they're usually like criminal procedurals like that shit is full that's yeah you know like who are we kidding ourselves uh north america there i said north america so i can include canada and america (laughs) you know like we we love death we love gore we love Mm -hmm. it we love true crime we love it all so maybe it's just Maybe it's just the production value that we shot it on mini DV and it's, you know, it's grainy and it's, it's fuzzy and it's, I liked it's graininess. I like it too. I almost wish we shot it on mini DV. So it'd be higher quality. Usually I shoot on eight millimeter videotape, which is even less quality. Um, but we were like, Oh, let's be like a little high five for this, but it was still a yeah. five thing. But, um, like knife play the, um, all the tape stuff and knife play, that's the camera I usually use for everything. And I kind of wish that we shot it on that camera sometimes, but whatever, it is what it is. Um, anyway, um, but yeah, um, so yeah, I was grateful to, um, I'm excited. I will be buying your book when it comes out and I'm excited okay. to just read more of your work because I really love, yeah, so the reason I'm on here right now is because I read the let's play as dad and alcoholic. And I was like, Hey, this is really good. And as someone who's also making work about the relationship with their dad, which, and like discovering things about him, one of which is maybe he had a drinking problem. Anyway, I reached out and you were like, do you want to come on the podcast? And so I'm here. Here we are. Like two days after I sent that message, when I was like, you know, like thinking about my dad, like, did he have a drinking problem? I was on the phone with my mom and she made like, three really really casual references to my dad's drinking problem and I was like whoa and I have no it's so weird I can't even like claim to be affected by it because it's it's like a peripheral thing for me like I only really saw him to my knowledge like maybe he was drunk all the time and I was just so used to it that I didn't register it as being drunk I only registered in my 
brain that he was drunk one time. Um, and that's, you know, I've been moved out for four years. And so I think, I think it mostly started after I moved out. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe if you, I like talk to my little brother about it, he just moved out like two months ago. Um, maybe if I talked to him about it, he'd be like, oh yeah, it was really bad. But like, I didn't really get any of that. But um, apparently he's been sober for four months now. I, yeah, I was like talking to my mom and I was like, yeah, I saw grandma yesterday. Like she was down and um, she said that you guys are visiting a lot more, which makes sense because, you know, you guys must be really lonely now that Matthew's out of the house, my little brother. And she's like, oh, well, dad wasn't visiting before because he was drunk all the time. But now that he's sober, you know, like, uh, you know, he's like okay to be in front of them. And I was like, okay <laughs> like what drunk all the time apparently all the time. um yeah and that's she said it like so casually and what i was did like he drink what did he drink um i know that he at one point was making moonshine in the mm. is that do people get arrested for that should i have said that he's not no. anymore no, no one no, no, no. the house no no but, no you can make your own alcohol these days okay, no problem. okay. as long as you're not selling but, it to other people yeah he wasn't selling it really but yeah i guess it was like i don't know how alcohol works because i don't drink but apparently it's like undistilled moonshine so it's like really strong or something um <laughs> i don't know the one time there was one time when I visibly saw him drunk and it was I was home. It was in like 12th grade. It was just him and I home. And he was like, he was like, will you make me some food? And I was like, OK. And so I just like whipped him up some like tacos or whatever, um, like really simple, just like tortilla, meat, cheese, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I gave them to him and he was like, OK, like, thank you. And he was like, kind of like shaking, like acting weird and just like the way his words were coming out of his mouth. It wasn't slurred, but it was just like kind of like yeah. slow and like unsure. And I like sat down on the couch. He was like on the computer in the living room and I was like on the couch and he was like eating this like taco and he was like kind of like shaky and like just his bites were weird and everything was like falling out of it and he didn't seem to care. And he was like, this is good. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I was like, are you okay? He was like, yeah, I'm I'm fine. And I was like, okay. And then he was like, I'm going to go to bed. And it's like 4 p.m. And I'm like, okay. But he does like shift work. Like he's working mm-hmm. like 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. some days. And then 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. other days. I don't know. He was like, I'm going to go to bed. So I was like, okay, whatever. And um, he stands up out of the chair and he just like falls over. Oh, and I'm like, yeah, and strong. then it registers. I'm like, oh, he's drunk. And I'm like, I go and I pick him up and I like walk him to the bedroom. And he's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I'm like, no, like, let me help you. And so I walk him to the bedroom and he like, his bed's kind of high and he can't get into it. And so he's like, his he's like, um he's standing on one side of it and his like chest and his arms are like laying on the bed. And I go on the other side and I grab his hands and I have to like pull him into the bed. Mm. And so just like, it was such a weird experience. And, you know, in, I didn't know that he had like a drinking problem. I thought he just got like too drunk that one day because it was the first time I had seen it. And so I mentioned it to my mom. I was like, yeah, dad was like weird earlier. I think he was drunk and he like, I had to pull him into the bed and like, blah, blah, blah. And she got like really upset and she went and like found a bunch of bottles that he had in the garage and like poured them down the sink. I was like so pissed off. And so like, 
I have no idea how long it was going on then. Maybe it was going on for a long time and like just he like kept it at a manageable, you know, like a functioning mm-hmm. alcoholic, as they say. Um, but yeah, um, it was weird. And he like apologized for it afterwards. And um, I don't know. Yeah. So I can't, yeah. I'm not like traumatized by this or anything. I'm not like, oh, but just. No, um, I get it. I mean, yeah. I, I would say like similarly, you know, my dad, my the way that my dad drank, it was really hard to see him as an alcoholic. And he, I think, did that on purpose, you know? Yeah. Like he surrounded himself with other people who were also drinking. Um, yeah. And then like the, 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 the way that every occasion barbecue dinner or whatever, like it was always around food and it was around celebration and there was, it was expensive wine and it was all, yeah. you know, all of these things that kind of gave, gave it the sheen of, Like, he's just like a bon vivant, like he just loves life and, you know, he's gonna and And I still think that that's, uh, that was true. I think that was a big part of who he, who he was, that he, he loved having people around and he loved sharing food and wine with them. And I don't think that that necessarily makes you an alcoholic, but, you know, I can say as, as somebody who is a regular weed smoker, Mm -hmm. I love it. I love the meditative qualities of it. I believe it is, you know, something that I have under control And it's not something that I need to do every day. But there are times when I question that. Because I think the longer you do something and the longer you you use something as a a, a very quick uh, mood shifter, right? It's like, this is going to suck. You know what will make it suck less? Gummies. You know, yeah. like thinking about things in that way, it has its it has its limits um, in terms of of being able to like look at yourself and, and qualify yourself as not addicted or not dependent or whatever. So I recognize that like he was, uh, you know, he had a lot of money problems. He had a lot of um he had a lot of issues and stress in his life and and he turned to exercise and wine exercise yeah. and wine in combination were kind of his big release valves and i don't really know i don't judge him for it i get mm-hmm. it you know and yeah. i think that comes across in in what i wrote like Mm-hmm. I get it so much that I'm doing a version of it myself, but you know, there's fucking sloppy moments. <laughs> yeah. You can't do it for that long without having sloppy moments. Yeah. yeah. Do you think he was depressed? That's a good question. 
because you're kind of talking about it as if it's like a coping mechanism for him, right? So I'm like, do you think, what was he coping from? Do you think he was depressed or? Yeah, I think he, I think he was, I think he was really impatient with his emotional intelligence. Yeah. So I think that like, he never went to therapy. Mm -hmm. He was uncomfortable even getting a massage. Like he hated being touched by anyone that wasn't my mom. Yeah. Um, And I think that, that there was just a lot of like, there was something very bundled up tight in him that was, uh, that he did a lot of work to build muscles around that and, uh, you know, really nice shirts and really nice shoes. And like, he presented in this way that was like, like impermeable, like, you know, he looked excellent. And I think that that need to never, to never let his guard down, to never, you know, admit what was going wrong in his life. Because, because with the money stuff, I think that was, you know, I think he like honestly didn't understand how to get his finances in order. Mm -hmm. And so he would just fuck shit up to the point that like he went bankrupt or he would have to borrow money from a family member. And he would always say that he would pay it back. And most of the time he did, but it was always these big swings of like, you know, having a a good phase where, you know, a lot of money was coming in and then hitting like a slump where, where there was no money coming in. And it was just like that, those extremes. I think he couldn't live in a middle place. Um, and and like that, that emotional piece, like, I don't think he felt like, like when my mom died, uh, before him, and he had like two or three years before then he died. Like he, he was dating within, I want to say like three or four months of her death. And oh, like he that's... had been married for 40 years and lo- like very much loved her. Like ve- Like they had a very, very loving, strong relationship in their own way, you know, like it's not yeah. something that I want for myself, but like I, I, I see that it worked and they made it work. But yeah. he could not bear to be alone. He could, mm-hmm. it wasn't so much the women. It wasn't so much yeah. that he found a good partner and wanted to be with, like he just needed, he needed something. someone. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I mm. feel like, I feel like that speaks to me about like, it, I see him as someone who did not do much work on himself psychologically or emotionally. Yeah. He sounds like my dad, like in, in a lot of ways, but I know like, so as being in such a small town, like when the pandemic hit, like my dad was like, that's probably when his drinking problem got bad. Cause he called me a lot during like early, like lockdown days and would like cry because he was just like so lonely and like missed his friends and 
yeah um I don't know what will happen if he lives longer than my mom I feel like I don't know I feel like he's not the kind of guy that would start dating again I feel like he would be like yeah your mother was my soulmate I'm not gonna see anyone but like he would definitely like you know look for friends and stuff Mm -hmm. um but yeah he um yeah, he, my dad's definitely depressed. And that's what the film is. I mean, the short film didn't really get into it, but like part yeah. of what I want to explore in like the the feature film is like how both the dad and the son are depressed, but they deal with it differently. The dad's like, oh, so here's another thing. In the film, I think I want to start it with the grandpa's funeral, like like the dad's dad. Mm, and then that's so that's a, that's a catalyst, like him losing his own father it's a catalyst for him to get closer to his son because he's like, you know, thinking about his relationship with his dad. And he's like, I want my son to have what I had with my dad mm-hmm. before it's too late. Right. Um, and so, so yeah. So like the dad's depressed and he's looking to fix that by connecting with other people, whereas the son's depressed and he is not looking to fix it and very much wants to wallow in it and shut everyone mm-hmm. else out because I'm very much a wallower and my dad is like, yeah, he was like, he was really lonely and like really, really sad when, when the lockdown was happening. Um, Yeah. So, so yeah, they sound like similar, similar guys. I guess they're not obscure, you know, never before heard of problems to have, but you know. No, I mean, I think it was I like, yeah, and I think they're a product of their era and the masculinity that was framed for them in their era. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't really think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it would have been unimaginable for my dad to to go on like a like a yoga retreat or something to like get in <laughs> touch with his things like that would never yeah. have happened. No, never. Never at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but listen, Malcolm, I gotta go because somebody's been trying to call me a few times and I just got a message and I want to check what's going on. But this was amazing. Thank you. I went into uh, this like thinking sorry to interrupt, but yeah, I went into this being like I had a lot of preconceived notions about what it was gonna be like, or like I was like, oh, like I should say this or whatever, but as soon as I joined the call, I just kind of like dropped all that and was like, I'll just do whatever and like this wasn't what I expected, but it was, I expected it to be nice and it was that, but everything else is, yeah. Anyways, thank you. Yeah, I'll let you know. I'll let you know about my book as it gets further along. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited. Okay, well, yeah, thank you. And um, we'll see you later. Have a good weekend. You too. Thank you, bye.